Hi, I'm Beth Peretta, and I am the CEO and team principal of Peretta Autosport, the first uh, women forward team in IndyCar history. You know, Beth is amazing. I think meeting you, um, I met you at the IndyCar uh, Indy 500 last year. Um, and it was Did we meet on qualifying weekend? Yeah, was it yeah qualifying exactly. weekend? Yeah, okay, it was so that was the most nerve-wracking part of all of it. Yes, okay. Yeah, right. So qualifying, didn't know if you're going to race and, and, and all of that. And just cool, calm. You also like, I was a sponsor at the time and you, like, yep. you still did the job of, of handling us and having your team work with us and making sure that we're comfortable on top of the, all the pressure of just racing and, and all of that. Like, one, how do you do it? How do you do all of that? Well, it's funny because that, you know, 2021, when you were with us, was our debut, right? So there was so much extra attention on us because we were still a curiosity. It was the first time, to put it in perspective, the Indy 500, which is which is the first race that we raced in, um, started in 1911. So in 2021, it was 110 years, you know, it was like 110th anniversary from the first race. Um, I think it was the 106th running because there were a few years they didn't run during World War II. Um, so this this race is steeped in history and tradition and there's all this extra stuff going on in addition to just the race. And the, um, because we were new, I had a lot of new staff as well. So, you know, behind the scenes, I don't know if everybody's was fully aware that, you know, there's, I had some, as much as we had some rookies on the competition side of the team, learning how to, you know, change tires in a pit stop. I had some rookies on the commercial side. Now, granted, they our business people and and knew the actual tasks, but they were new to IndyCar and a race team as well. So everybody was sort of learning all at the same time. So yeah, when you have, um, to put it in perspective, race teams run on sponsor partners. We That's the way that we raise revenue in order to fund what we're doing. So the one thing that's unique about racing versus other sports, like if you look at a basketball team or a baseball team, they have an arena or a stadium and that's how they make money. They can also do sponsorship. And so you'll still see, you know, a Dunkin' Donuts logo, you know, but in the in in the stadium. And, and that's that sort of added um, an added way, an added revenue stream. But for race teams, it's only the sponsorship because we don't have a, a home stadium that, that we race from. So for that reason, sponsors are critically important. So even on race weekend and leading up to it, that's why we work with you as a sponsor then or or any of them to make sure that we're building out an ad campaign or all the things that are important to you. And every sponsor is different. What, What matters to them and what they need is different. So what's funny is everybody that's reading the racing, you know, the magazines about racing or watching it on TV is seeing all those results on track, seeing the people in all those key positions and what they're doing. But the other big, big half of the business, if if it's even half, it might be like 60-40, is the commercial side to make it all, you know, make it all work. But you're right. Well, on that race, on that qualifying weekend or race day, those sort of things converge because now all the stuff that you've been working on, these sponsors, they're, they're now there too. So, yes, right. you have to pay attention to, you know, um, making sure that everybody's there on time and we're not having any parts failures on the car or we're, you know, we're, we, what's the tire strategy going to be for the race? And then making sure that our guests are getting into their suite <laughs> or if we have to do some social media videos, that those are getting done. But the, the, the answer of how you do it is, I don't know. I think it's like anything, if you're busy, you know, isn't there something, a theory that if you're busy, you get more done. I think I've, we fall into that category. Like 
you know, if you have a day off and you think you're going to get like one thing done, you never get around to it. But if you have a hundred things, you'll get them done. <laughs> yeah. I, I think also just watching you work, you are very much an athlete too, because you were in flow state. Like I could, I, you know, you were in flow state yeah. moving from one thing to the next thing to the next thing. Yeah. Very seamlessly, very controlled, very perfect in your direction. I remember I saw you, so so I have the shirt that you autographed. So you did that. Yeah. You, you hit me with the best line. You're like, money and lives, two of my favorite things. You're like, wow, what? That's a lot <laughs> And then you went off to like direct it, it got to, to direct with the pit crews. And then I was able to see like you on pit night. Right, and you were in that like, suite. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I forgot that you. That we were also doing all this social media, and I think to also to your credit, you started as a marketer, right? Like, and now you're a principal as a racing team. Well, what's your what's your career background as well? Because I think that's also yeah. Great. I mean, to go even further back, there's there's stuff before the marketing. So I will say, racing is probably my third career because prior to that, I was in automotive, and then prior to that, I actually was in the alpine ski business. Um, what but in automotive. Today? I know. Good, good question. No, what sort of in, 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 well, in high school and then in college and then therefore after college, I worked for ski shops. So wow, I okay. started in the retail sector, but then I grew into it and wound up being a, a wholesale buyer for, for retailers and then working on the, um, the supplier side, like working for the manufacturers selling into ski shops. So it's basically that whole wholesale retail model. So first being on retail, and then kind of going through the ranks of that and then flipping over to wholesale. So, but what that did for me, because this is also while I was, uh, it started when I was in college. And so I was studying a completely different discipline. I was studying broadcasting and film because I thought I wanted to make documentaries. But because this was my, my part-time job, what I later, you know, it's easier to look back and see what was actually happening at the time. But it was when I was falling in love with business and sort of the construct of business and, um, I and then to now drill it down further and we can get to this, but I realized what I liked about business was solving problems. And so ultimately what it was is me having really an engineering brain and that idea of solving problems and being methodical about it. Um, but I'm not an engineer. So um, I later, later in life, I realized, oh, that would have been a discipline that would have been good for me, but it wasn't something I was exposed to. So really introduced to business while I worked in this in in the alpine skiing and outdoor sports I should say because it's a little broader because there's things to do in the summer as well um so did that all through graduate school and then after grad school um decided to make a pivot to automotive because the thing about that industry I learned of course is it's weather dependent and I remember reading something that Warren Buffett said about like never being a weather dependent business which obviously makes a lot of sense <laughs> so I thought all right I I don't I don't want to necessarily stay in this, but now I'm coming out of grad school and it is that inflection point where you can make a change and what change makes sense for me. And I'd always been a car person, always been reading car magazines, loved racing, didn't really think of racing as somewhere that I would go, but I loved cars. And so I took a job selling cars at a dealership. From there, though, I wound up working for Volkswagen Group in finance. And um, so basically it's like Volkswagen Bank and it's the bank that... Um, Automotive finance is kind of two-prong. It's the same thing, wholesale and retail. Your um, loans and leases, like when you go into a car dealership and you're going to either lease a car or get a, you know, get a loan to finance the car, you know, across 60 months, blah, blah, blah. Those loans and leases, um, which effectively, because you're Volkswagen Bank, you're still, you're still competing against other banks, Bank of America, um, 
you know, whatever, TD Bank, um, Wells Fargo. But the other thing that you do, and when I say Volkswagen Bank, it was Volkswagen, Audi, Lamborghini, Bentley. You're basically yep. uh, the go-to for any anything in the Volkswagen umbrella. Now, you know, they also have Porsche. I don't know how they've divvied it up because that happened after I left. But the other side is wholesale financing. So it's financing the um, the dealer's inventory because all of that inventory that you see on the lot costs a lot of money. They don't The dealers don't own all of it. They basically... Um, kind of have it on consignment for lack of a better explanation but you have to work with the dealers and the, the dealer principals the owners of the dealerships on the health of their business the financial health of their business so what was great about that is it taught me um really how to drill down into finance so it's the idea of um small and medium sometimes large businesses and uh and again what was nice, it was small, medium and large businesses learning how to help them be healthier in the way that they operated. And so it was really kind of roll up your sleeves kind of work and learn how really businesses operate. And so when it's funny, when I look back, it looks like that I'm sort of bouncing like a pinball. But there's so many things that you can that I learned at each stop that I still use to this day, for sure. In fact, one of the funny things is, is you know, eventually I wound up being um, business partners on the racing side, uh, technical partners with Roger Penske. And the funny thing, he is kind of, you know, captain of industry, certainly well, um, well rooted in automotive and transportation, and then has these race teams. But to this day, and I will sit and talk about the automotive business and sort of the nuts and bolts of it, because he loves it too. And he knows it so well. So the, the funny bit is, I still use all of that, like, I'm still recalling, you know, Right. Bits of my my work history, like from 15 years ago. And it probably has helped because it allows you to have a broader conversation with some of these key people. And and so a question on that. So you and part of what why we created Urban Income is to really help, you know, minorities and underserved communities um, improve their income and, and finances. But part of that is entrepreneurship and dreaming big and but executing yes. on that dream. And so I think you're an example where got a good career working finance on the bank. I'm assuming that wasn't your dream. Your dream was to build a race team. And that's like a wild dream. You know what I mean? <laughs> and like, so right. how, what, like, what motivated you to like make it happen? Cause you've made it happen at the highest level, creating the first female racing team, like all those things. I think some people be like, oh, I can't do that. Or they'll listen to people uh, who tell them that they can't. Right. And when I was talking right. to Christy, the marketing officer of Kaiser, she said, everyone who says I can't, I turn that into I will. So how did you get like big audacious dream and just make it happen? Yeah. So I I will I will admit that, you know, even when I was like doing my Volkswagen job, I loved the job. So basically what it was, I was traveling, you know, I'm working at a home office. So this is back before everyone had a home office, but I had a home office and I would travel to the dealership. So I'd get in my car, my my Volkswagen or my Audi that they'd give me. I'd drive to the dealership and I have these conversations. Okay, great. And I really enjoyed what I was doing. I wind up meeting somebody through like, you know, like literally a, a an automotive business dinner that worked for Aston Martin. We wind up chatting. They needed help on the finance side. He said, would you be willing to talk about maybe, a, you know, working with us and talk about a job? I said, sure. But it, this is one of a few times in my life. And this does happen where you're happy in what you're doing. And you also see a path ahead and a ladder that you can climb. But if somebody says, you know, right. would you be open to talking about a job? You always say yes. 
And I will say women okay. tend to not do that as much because, so we, I wound up talking to this gentleman. He's talking about sort of a new role that they were creating that he thought that it would be good for me to, that I could be a good fit in. And I will say I did, I did mentally do a thing that women, I learned later that women tend to do. And maybe, I don't know if other people do this too, but the job that he was describing, I didn't think I was, um, uh, what do you call it? Um, like not eligible. Uh, I wasn't qualified, capable of qualified for yet. Uh-huh. So of course I say to him, like, I don't know that I could do that job yet where I've since learned that that's a typical woman response because women tend to, and and I wonder if this also could ex- extend to minorities that we, we want to, we want to feel like we've got this and, and we have all of the we're competent and we're capable and we have all the answers because I think we carry with us this notion that if I get into the job and you ask me a question, I don't have the answer, that you're going to think that I don't know the answer because I'm a woman or because I'm a minority. And I learned that if someone says, we'd like to hire you for this role, you say yes. And you learn the job on the job because the big secret is I'm going to say the quiet part out loud. White men have been doing that for years because they knew that that was not the secret, but like that, that's how it's supposed to work. And I think nobody told us that. So like they would get appointed to a role that they didn't, they weren't yet qualified for, but they're just walking through that door and measuring the corner office for the drapes. And they're like, you know, where do I hang up my porch, my family photo with my dog? And we just didn't have that confidence to know like, oh, that's how you're supposed to do that. And a woman actually explained that to me because I actually turned that job down initially. And so bless oh, okay. that opportunity, though, I actually said no, but they still wanted to hire me. So what they did is they hired me at a, at a different, smaller level that I was comfortable with. So I did take the job, jumped to Aston Martin there for about almost five years, wind up at another industry function meeting um, the gentleman that I wound up working for at Fiat Chrysler. Same thing. Do you want to talk about a job? And here I was again in the job that I liked. Um, Didn't necessarily see too many rungs ahead on the ladder. So when he said, would you want to talk about a job? I said yes, because now I knew that that you always say yes, because it's one of those things too. You want to keep your interviewing skills sharp. So even if you're not looking for a job, take the interview. So I went and did that. And then I wound up joining Fiat Chrysler and that job had me running up. So I should say the Aston Martin job. So I left when I leapt from Volkswagen to Aston, I went from finance to operations. Operations means allocating the dealers, their cars, basically being the middleman between the dealerships and the, the dealer and the factory. So you're kind of wearing many hats, but it's great because you learn many facets of the business. So the next job when I go to Fiat Chrysler, because I take this meeting was operations and marketing. I will admit that when I was in grad school and studying business, I didn't, um, I was one of many and I realized that marketing suffers from this. A lot of people don't see it as a science or a discipline because it's something that you see. So a lot of people think that they can dabble in it. There was this guy I knew when I worked in Fiat Chrysler, it was so infuriating. He worked for a supplier and he was an engineer. And I think at that point, he might have been like a CFO. And he literally said to me in a meeting, he said, well, I I dabble in marketing. And at that point in my career, I had become the head of marketing. And I realized for me, and this is my own flaw, that um, 
marketing actually came very easily to me because I, I didn't realize, but it's something that I'm good at. But in my mind, if if I'm good at it, it can't be a real thing. Like I think, oh, finance is difficult. I have to learn it. And there's yeah, a discipline. Yeah. yeah. Right. And so, but then you start to realize, oh, not everybody can do it. And I didn't, you know, I took it for granted. But then I, I started to become, realize that, oh, this is a discipline and marketing is a bit science and art and a balance. And of course, not everything is quantifiable. So sometimes you have to get people to believe, okay, give me a few years and you'll see the results of this. And you do. But I remember this guy saying, yeah, I dabble in marketing. And I thought like, how insulting, like, yeah, I dabble in engineering. Like you wouldn't have the audacity. <laughs> yeah. Right. Right. But with that, said, that role then gave me the, the experience in, in racing. And that's when I get this light bulb moment of, okay, now I want to get more women to do what I do. What if I spearhead this thing? And I felt like, honestly, the reason I was able to have the light bulb is because I had all these steps along the way. Like, all right, I know how to read a balance sheet. Right. I know how to market. I understand logistics and operations and supply chain things. And so I think I kind of had enough things in my pocket. But that's not to say that you need to have all the pieces before you make the leap. I think you have to realize that most of the people that you see out there are learning as they go along. And that's the, the secret. Yeah. Absolutely. And don't I be think, afraid to figure it out. We're still figuring it out. Right. I so think you that, can't that, tell me that Jeff Bezos is not still figuring it out. Jeff Bezos is figuring it out. Absolutely. I think that touches back on on what you were saying too about and you said women. I think I had a very similar experience where I almost talked myself out of out of a job and I I didn't even never didn't even think about it. Maybe it's because I'm of Chinese uh, immigrant plus plus um you know not born in this country but plus being black right so i my yeah. first advertising job um it was for search engine optimization which is what i do what my company growth skills does yeah. i go into this job and mind you i'm self-taught and i'm pretty good so i go into this job and they're like i literally start talking myself out of the job like literally walking out of the interview because i'm like wow. all the value they're gonna find out you're a fraud and you have never right. done you know, because they had uh, Apple as a client, Western Union. And I was supposed to do SEO for these brands, and I was like, "No, right. they're gonna find out you're a fraud. They're gonna fire you in three months." Yeah. And I was like, "Then I said, you know what? Let me just, I'll just take the interview, get the job, and then it, if you get fired, you get fired." I'm telling you, on day two, I realized that no one knew anything about SEO. No one knew yes. anything about SEO. They had the, yes. and I was in the York office, they had the UK team and the UK team sort of had a rivalry with, with us. So they wouldn't even give me, you know, we're supposed to deliver big work. They're like, oh, here's what's, here's an example of what's done. And I just brushed them up. So I just re reverse engineered the thing. And then I got my deliverable done. And then my boss is like, how, how did you do that? Cause I know SEO, I, I realized that right. he's using this tool and that, and then, you know, a couple of years later, I make ad ages 40 under 40 lists for when I'm when I took over the group. I was like, I'm not doing it this way. You guys are doing it wrong. You need to integrate, you know, organic with Google Ads. And they're like, What are you talking about? Just do it. And I got it done. And I grew the group from five hundred K to two million in less than a year. And for five when, you know, this company spent fourteen years unable to to even build that wow. out. And I just smashed it. Imagine if I walked out of that job because I was like, correct. 
they'd still be floundering, by the way. Right. Well, and still, they still really wouldn't have solved it. My work helped no, get yeah. to IPD. So it's pretty, you know, it's pretty yeah. powerful stuff. So that's spot on because people always talk themselves out of things. And then imagine like, and I think your experience of going, doing, doing the, the, the journey and the process of learning everything that you've done right. now to, to use that to execute um, at the level that you're doing is, is also another lesson I think people should hear and and absolutely i think they're like and although even though like i'm stuck at this job but they're not actually learning the things they need for the next move you know absolutely and i would say too like even though some of those jobs that i said along the way might sound might have even sounded like big jobs they were like you know being a business development manager for volkswagen group was kind of like a middle lower to middle a middle job you know but 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 then you realize that there's more responsibility and like any job if you do well, you're given more responsibility. And I, the one thing you, I would also recommend, and there's a balance here. Don't ever, and I remember this, even, you know, you think of like all your work experience, even like that part-time job I had, like when I was in college or part-time jobs in high school, I would see people that were older than me that were like adults. Cause at that point you're still like a kid, like a young adult, right? You know, 18 to 25, you're kind of a young adult. And you'd see people that were decades older. And I remember seeing people with that attitude of like, okay, I get paid you know, I'll, I'll adjust it for like $15 an hour. I'm not going to do that, those tasks, because that's, you should be paying me $20 an hour or whatever. It can, in these entry-level jobs that you get. And I remember hearing grown adults say that and realizing, oh, that's not a good thing. Now, I say that there's a balance here because you don't want to be also taken advantage of and be doing all the other work and not getting paid for it. But yep. if some of those added tasks are going to give you added skills where like it is an investment in you on occasion to take on other tasks. Cause remember the only investment that you know, you, when you talk about investment in savings, there's, there's also that investment in skills and learning, you know, uh, here's the other thing too. That's fantastic. You think about people that you see aren't born here. And if, if you're, if you are, um, if you immigrated or maybe your parents immigrated, if you speak multiple languages, use that to your advantage. There's a lot of places where just by the fact of you being bilingual is beneficial and make sure people know you're bilingual instead of instead of hiding it or wanting to um, minimize that. That's an added skill. Make sure that's on your LinkedIn, you know. Oh, interestingly, I would mention to, to everybody, even at an entry level, um, have a LinkedIn page of what your skills are. And as you get, gain skills, update your LinkedIn. People do look for people on LinkedIn. It's a real thing. Um, I would also recommend to be careful in your social media broadly because people, people when they're interviewing, they do look at everything. And um, but but that idea of um, even if you're entry or mid level, if there's a an extra project, it's okay to raise your hand and volunteer for it because you have to advocate for yourself. But you know, you said that Christian said the thing about like you know when people told me that I couldn't, I have to honestly say that. I don't know along the way that I had that many people telling me that I couldn't. They might have been, and I might not have even heard them. Uh, I do have care. Yeah. Like, I don't have a distinct memory of somebody be like, oh, sweetie, you can't do that. Um, but I will say, though, that I know for, I mean, gosh, 15 years, so many times that I was the only woman in the room. But... Um, I think if I if you're respectful and thoughtful and able to speak up, I mean, I, I definitely know that many times in meetings, you'd speak up and somebody would talk over you, or then you'd say something and then someone else would say the exact same thing you said, and then they'd agree to that. And 
there's two ways you can take that. Yes, and there's ways that you can take that and ways you can get a little angry. But if they do take that same idea and it is then adopted, you can also take the positive from it and be like, I was right. You know, like you could still walk out of that meeting like, well, at least I know that my thought process was right. I was on the right track and almost take that to have that build your confidence, especially if you're back in that first thing of like, do I deserve to be here? And, you know, when you're talking about that, you know, there, there's a name for that. It's called imposter syndrome, right? That you're, you got hired. Are they going to find out that I'm an imposter? And I do still think that there's an element of imposter syndrome that's healthy because I say, like, if you don't have it, then you're a little bit of a sociopath because you're vlogging like, I'm, if you, if you don't have that, you're George Santos, like George Santos, who says he's everything, you know, or like George Santos is no different than like Kim Jong Un, you know, or Kim Jong Il, which was the younger one, the one that's like he's a Olympic star or whatever. George yeah, Santos yeah. probably knows that he's, you know, not any of the things that he said and didn't go to the colleges that he said. But for those of the rest of us that have that little fear, I think there's something good because it also very healthy. Motivating. It's healthy because it keeps you a bit humble because you also want to say, all right, I want to prove that I know this, or if I don't know it yet, I can learn it. But I think that's the takeaway is don't be afraid of the stuff you don't know yet if you're willing to learn. And most people, here's the thing too, you, people get hired based on their attitude and their work ethic. So if you show um, initiative and drive and interest and you're showing up on time and you're staying at, you know, not that you have to stay late again. I'm not, it's not, I'm not advocating for an 80 hour work week because I know that people are kind of putting their hands up at that. It's not that. It's about making sure that you do what you say you're going to do. And if, you know, if the workday starts at nine, you know, you're there at five of taking your coat off so that you're sitting at your desk at nine. Um, you know, you're not waltzing in at 920 with an iced coffee. People notice that stuff because it just, it just means, and, you know, um, but not to not be afraid to also be a lifelong learner, because I, I will tell you that even the top of the top, you know, executives are always wanting to, they, the smartest people know that they don't know everything. Absolutely. I think one of the, one of the things that I learned and, and, you know, my company is called growth skills. So training and coaching that's built into what we do, especially in digital marketing, because it trains changes so fast with chat GPT, like the right. world is, it's fast. Right. So yeah. I, um, I learned how to learn in a karate school. Right. So a lot of, a lot of people don't know how to actually attain and get and acquire and retain a skill. So I, I, you know, I'm writing actually a book called learning how to learn. I have a course on it. And it's because I got lucky that I had a sensei who says, if you're going to learn this kick, you, you pick the kick, you practice the kick, refine the kick, you go fight, get beat up and you find out your kick doesn't work. And then you rinse and repeat until you get a level of skill in kicking. Then you learn how to punch right. and you learn how to put it together. So in my career, yeah. I basically learned Every year I, I would learn something with my goal of being a chief marketing officer. So I went to school for writing. Then I put that together with um, video production, with building websites, now SEO. And then I was able to be a very effective CMO. So I, I, I totally believe um, you're absolutely right. And I love that you're, you're, you're doing STEM and you're teaching, you're teaching young girls and, and women about engineering, about, about, um, about, about those types of things. So to compile this all together, what's the future do you think of, of parental order sport, motorsport, and like women and learning within that industry? I know it's a lot, but so, I think- No, no, so I think it's- there, 
they're, they're interwoven, and it's a it's a great question. And one thing to to just to go back to that last thing we're saying to for people that are wondering like how do you dream big and how do you keep at? I think the other thing to also consider is you talk about all these steps along the way, and I have all these steps along the way. When you're 20 years old, it's okay to have that aspiration of I want to be a CMO or I want to be a CEO or I want to have my own business, but also understand that that doesn't need to be next year. There's something to be said for climbing those rungs of the ladder because then when you finally get to the top of the ladder, you're going to be better at it. So instead of feeling like oh, my future's not me, you know, I, my future's not happening fast enough. No, uh, enjoy those steps because if you're in, if you're taking those, uh, you know, taking the time to learn all of those added skills by the time you need all of them you might only, you might still only be 40 and when you're 20 40 seems like a million miles away but you're going to be much much more success a much more successful 40 year old than if you jump into it and you're and you're rolling around at 23 years old in your car saying i'm the ceo of my company like oh sweetie you don't know anything yet like you have to fall in your face a couple of times. You're going to be better at it and it's going to be sustainable. And it's going to be the kind of thing where you can have a company where you employ 500 people, 5,000 people. And But are you going to be employing 5,000 people when you're 23? No. And yes, you might see Kylie, Kylie Jenner. That's not real. She does not run that. There are people, real people who have years of experience that run that. And her name is on it. So like I think the examples that we see of this young economy people aren't realizing that that's not, you know, or people that go viral, like that's not a real thing. It's a real thing for a hot, hot minute, but whatever. So the idea of don't be discouraged about toiling away on the steps. Now with that said, where does this go and why am I doing this? So I had this team of women that uh, are on a professional race team. And the reason I chose to do it this way is because it's visible. You can see it. Race fans can see it. The general population can see it. The Indy 500 is obviously a big race. IndyCar is professional racing. It races all around North America. Do I want 10-year-olds to see us and want to aspire to grow up and work on a race team? Sure, maybe when you're 10. But you're also realizing that it's something that women and men can do side by side. People of all races, gen it doesn't really matter. It's It shows you that skills-based stuff, being an engineer, being a mechanic, it's just about hard work, learning the skills and being good at it. And the reality is, especially in racing, right? Because racing, you have to be good at it. Like, as I say, if you're mediocre, you get spit out because we get the one thing that's great about racing or professional sports is you get instant feedback. Are you good or you're not good? Are you putting in the work or not? Like, did you um, races start with there's a green flag that starts a race checkered flag ends a race. And so I always say, like, you know, when it's race morning or the day before, and we're still putting the car together because we've got it, you know, race starts at one in the afternoon and it's 9 a.m. and we're in the garage. Like we say, like the green flag waits for nobody. The green flag's going to go and the race is going to start whether you're ready and your car's on the grid or not. So it teaches you ah. that you have to get your stuff done and you've got to be shoulder to shoulder with your teammates and you know your discipline, but you know a bit of you know, his and hers so that you can cover in case they're, they're stumbling. And that's where the team comes in. But why I put it together is because it is very visible and it shows young women who are watching that if it's kind of like an astronaut, right? I mean, a, a racing driver kind of is like that, that astronaut. It seems abstract and whatever, but then you start boiling it down. It's like, wait, you can do this. Regular people went to the moon. Regular people are building SpaceX. Yeah. They just happen to be people that, you know, um, dug into school and 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 keep learning and whatever. So the punchline is, yeah, do I want you to think that this is cool and you want to maybe study technical careers? And again, you could also be a mechanic 
sure. But if it makes you interested enough that you pay attention in school, and then by the time you're, and you go become a mechanical engineer, you study mechanical engineering in college, but then when you come out, you might want to go work for Boeing. I'm still taking that as a win. Because reality is, do I need 7 million uh, race engineers? No, we don't. We don't. We There's right. at some point, the Indy 500 is 33 cars. That's 33 lead engineers, 33 strategists. It's not, it's not you know, there's not a million jobs. But if it if it captures your imagination and you kind of just co- goes towards this path that, you know, women could be auto technicians, women could be aviation mechanics. It's a real thing. And we have shortages. We have labor shortages. So it's like all hands on deck, men, women, everybody. We just need you to find what you're interested in. And the most important thing is then you can have a career. And we need to start talking about why why do you grow up and have a job? Because you need to earn money to have a roof over your head. And as I and you and I talked about this, but what's especially important to me for women in particular is you know, in women need to have a sense of independence and not be dependent on a man to pay your rent, pay your bills, because that gets, can get into a dicey situation. You don't want to have, you know, even if you, if you get married young and you have a kid young and maybe you get divorced, you want to be able to support yourself and, you know, and have a career that you can have for 40 years. And you have to start thinking about that younger, because if you can, at least you always want to have, if you're a woman, you want to always have your own savings account, your own checking account. Even if you get married, you still want to have your own on the side. You want to have your own credit. You never want your money to be dependent on somebody else's. Now, granted, if you're together, yes, you, you could buy a house together and all of those things. But as a woman, especially, because we weren't usually taught this, um, you know, your listeners would be floored to know if they've never heard this, but back in like the 70s, like 60s, 70s, women couldn't have a credit card unless it was tied to their husband. So their credit card literally would say Mrs. You know, John Smith. It didn't even have their first name on it. And so everything, women were always at like an accessory to men. That obviously doesn't happen anymore, but we, we need to always make sure that we're teaching young women that independence starts with having your own money. That, and and so on the topic of money, what do you wish you did with your money sooner? And on top of that, what side hustles have you have you had during your career? That's a great question. I have to. I will come clean and say that my mother was fantastic with money. Um, my mother was the youngest of nine kids and um, was just very shrewd about money. Like so, I grew up. Mo- basically, grew up as an only child. I had a brother who passed away when I was six, but from then on, it was my mom, my dad, and me. They both worked. So economically, two working parents, one kid, mathematically is a little right. bit better money-wise, right? Um, and I think that, you know, so no matter what, that's a better scenario. My mom was very good with money, always made sure that she was investing, um, made sure we always had insurance, right? Because insurance is one of those things that you pay for, but then when things... Did, did she what? Private. Did she teach you that as well? Yeah, good with money. That's exactly, that's the point, is that... I was lucky that I had, and I'm, I'm going, I'm giving all the props to my mom because my dad was not as good with money. My mom was so good that she imparted in me. So I literally had, in you know, investment accounts when I was 12. So to say That's what amazing. I've done differently, I was the yeah. opposite. And, and it's because of my mother, because I wouldn't have known, obviously, as a child. So when you talk about generational wealth, am I wealthy? No. Am I comfortable? Yes. But I'm comfortable because I started young. 
I listened to my mother. She put the fear of God into me about saving. And when I say insurance, insurance is a key thing too. Make sure you have health insurance. Make sure you have those things. And as much as you think like, oh, I'm not going to get sick. No, one mistake can wipe out your savings. And so she was very, very practical. So anyway, with that said, every job, even my first jobs, like in in high school and college, when I had the opportunity to um, put money into a 401k, always put it in, Mm -hmm. always at the maximum. Because, you know, she taught me that it's free money. Backs out. It's free money yeah. and you don't know that it's missing because that paycheck, we adjust our lives to whatever the paycheck says. So if the paycheck is, um, you know, lower than, well, you just adjust to what the paycheck is. But if all that's going away. So the reason that that also worked is I resigned from Chrysler to start my race team. And here's the thing is when you're going to start a business, the two things that I did that were very smart, I had a big house. I stole, I downsized to a little condo right? To reduce my expenses. Cause I'm like, if I'm going to do this, I need to commit. So I still, yeah. I drive a car right now that's eight years old. That's paid off. Right. And, um, you, because I have to put the money into the business, but because I'd saved so much and I downsized when I left Fiat Chrysler to start my business, I didn't work, meaning I didn't have an income. I was working on starting my business for four years with, I, I didn't draw a paycheck in yeah. four years and the ability to do that, you know, it was like a mid midlife crisis or midlife sabbatical, I only could have done that because I'd been saving this nest egg. I wouldn't have been able to start my business without it, right? So again, when you talk about independence, it also gives you freedom. It gives you that ability. So even now, if you're 16 years old, put $25 away every week in savings. And $25 a week at the end of the month, that's $100. At the end of the year, it's $1,200. Like that's, and then, you know, it's, it's growing, it's growing. And, but it gets you into the habit of don't look at it, put it away. <laughs> Absolutely. Speaking, I'm going to comment on that and then speak and talk to you about your habits and your daily routine, because I think that mm-hmm. also drives success. But as you see me spinning coffee, mom, which is like the beginning of the daily routine. <laughs> that, my mom basically tried to teach me early on about money and my dad. And, you know, if you're listening, listen to that because I did not. I wish to, I just don't oh, care. Not. And it was, and right. I regret that. I literally was like, great. <laughs> Who cares? Right. So they, they had all the, they had it. They, they knew. Yeah, they had it. And they're trying to teach me. And I literally, I got my first paycheck from working at the summer camp, 300 bucks. I, I chuck cashed it. And my dad's like, do not spend all that money. I spent it all. <laughs> like, yes. I bust my ass all summer to just make 300 bucks. And I just didn't listen. And now I'm like, oh, man, I wish. But yeah. you could start at any time, you know? <laughs> you know the other start trap that I, I've seen people fall into, and I, I, I've known people that have done this. Um, sometimes when you're young, might get a job that pays a lot compared to your peers. Like, and I've seen this, I've seen people that like get a job at a car dealership and you might be like 24 years, 23 years old and you're working at a car dealership and you're making a bunch of money compared to your peers. And so you start to think that you're like a Rockefeller, right? Um, yeah. Because maybe, maybe you didn't go to college or, or whatever. But the, the thing that you have to remember is where's that trajectory? Like you're, yes, you're making a good amount of money compared to your peers, but if your peers then are doing kind of a slower route and then they start climbing, climbing, climbing in 10 years, they're going to be making a lot more than you and their trajectory keeps going and yours kind of stays here. So, and let's also take the other thing aside too. There is something to be said for as long as you can pay your bills and if you have a safe, nice place to live and you're, and you're paying your bills, not everybody has to make $600,000 a year. You could make 
$50,000 a year and be happy and content if you're paying your bills and everything is safe and you're saving and you have a retirement plan. This isn't all, nobody needs to think that, well, I'm never going to earn that. Or if I don't earn that, I'm not going to have a good life. There, Everything has to just be the all, the magic. And my mother used to always say this too, spend within your means. That's the secret to happiness. Your means can change. And, and here's the thing too. So how many people are then earning up here? So I was earning up here. What I was earning you know, well into the six figures. And then I resigned. So then I was earning zero figures. And I had to change the way I was thinking about spending. I couldn't just, you know, take a vacation. I couldn't just buy the handbag that I really wanted because I had to realize like, oh no, it's the cash flow just stopped by my choice. Sometimes it is our choice. Sometimes it's not our choice. But then when you're, when everything changes, you have to then readjust and it's spend within your means and spending within your means will make you will leads to your just that idea of always having to worry about money every there's people that make two hundred and fifty thousand dollars a year that worry about money because they're spending beyond where they should be because they have a big mortgage they have a big lease on their car so they have that same pit in their stomach sometimes as somebody that's making thirty thousand dollars a year because they're doing it because their expenses match or exceed what their income that's all it is is a pnl right you're you just have Correct. to manage that budget. Uh, yeah. So like don't think of the a- yeah. The answer isn't go ahead, go ahead. I need more money. The answer is how I spend. Yeah. Right. So that that's also like that. That exactly is why we on urban income we have three pillars: earn, save, and invest. Right. The earn yes. side is growth skills, career, all of that. The save side is as important. And then the investing side, it helps wealth grow over time. But like those are the right. three pillars because it's not it's not just earn, earn, earn. I think people right. people like like to focus on that. But like the cautionary sure. tales of the football players, the, the, those sports yes. stars, millions and millions and millions of dollars. But yep. through that whole time, you know, the leeches come, so they loan, invest yes. in you know the cousins' business and this, and then and then yes. you know they buy dinner one night and and just to be for an entourage, yeah. Exactly. The private jets. You don't need private jets. Yeah. If Delta's going there, they they're they'll get you there too. You know, yeah, you could fly first class, but like a private jet versus a first class ticket. A first class ticket is, you know, three thousand dollars. A private jet is thirty five thousand dollars. You know, I mean you don't have to take a private jet all the time. Laval, what you're doing is so important because in general, it's it's not that all the I think a lot of this stuff is like, people just don't talk about it. People talk, listen, wealthy people talk about it. They talk about it around the dinner table that like, and I'm talking generation. I'm talking like the big families, the Rockefellers and Japan's, right. you know, the, the, the Fords, like they all know they have, and then they have family offices, people, they have people that manage their money. People now does that mean that the kids, for sure. yeah. Did that mean that the kids and the grandkids and the great grandkids are savvy and they don't know it's kind of been handed to them. But there is some nuance that they all know. They all, they, because they're all also, they start with a savings account. So they see it. They have investment accounts. Yeah. So they see it. And and everybody can can do a bit of that. Absolutely. But it's important. Um, what you're doing is really important work. Yeah. I, I appreciate that. And, and, you know, for me, I have a daughter now. So it's important to teach these skills, but also just like there are things that people don't even know uh, when you look at it like, they're grants for like if you're an entrepreneur, they're grants for like where growth skills is a minority owned business. People don't even know one that, that exists. And then how do you actually get that done? Because that is hard. exactly so there's all these yep. things that they don't know 
that exist and register as a minority owner. All these different things that exist, but like no one's really writing about that and trying to expose them, teaching them the way. So on top of all that, you know. I would say to everybody too, when you start to see those sorts of grants, like women-owned business, minority-owned business, black-owned business, and then you register your company. If you ever have that hesitation of like, nope, I just want to do this on my own. I don't want any of this. Stop it. Take all of the help. Take all of the help. It's there for a reason. Don't be too, don't be too, don't think that you're being too proud or what. No, take every step because here's the thing that you're missing. All of those long time, you know, old boy network things, they were always taking a favor. They were getting a loan uh, approved because their father knew the guy at the bank and they got it done with a wink. That's the same thing. So they had it. You just don't see it. And it doesn't have a name on it. And it doesn't have, you know, a form that you have to fill out. It was a handshake and a wink. And so that's your handshake and a wink. So don't feel like you're being too prideful to not take any of those uh, opportunities if they exist. Research the opportunities and do it and, and run straight at it and take it. You know, that might be a minority thing, too, because, like, I'll tell you this. I had the same conversation with a friend. He missed yeah. my wedding, and 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 I'll keep this short. And I was like, "Look, you should yeah. learn search engine optimization, and and then yeah. apply for a job at my old company. You won't interview with me, but just learn it, and and we'll train you on the side. And this is part of our protege program at Crow Skills. So he did this, and this is years ago. He did this, and then first he was like, "Oh, you know, it's complicated. I have to learn how to code. You don't have to learn how to code." Then then he was like. Oh, but like, you're my friend. I don't want to take advantage. I'm like, bro, I- I'm, you're not taking advantage of me. I'm giving you like, yes, I'm your friend. Right. It was the network. What are you talking about? Yeah. I'm like, and you wouldn't recommend you know, him if you didn't think he could do it. Like, what are you talking about? Yeah. And then I'm like, you're going to interview with someone else. And if you, if you're not good, you know, they're not going to hire you. Right. And then it's on you to keep your job. Right. So long story exactly. short, he interviews, he gets the job. I leave that company. He, he a month ago he sends me this email so he got promoted and promoted and promoted a month ago he sends me this email and i'm trying to get teary-eyed because of it and he's like you know first he's talking about now he has a career he's t- telling me about it, my wife and how he's gonna have kids and all these things when that was not in his purview right because he didn't have a career and then he for he this e- email where he went to the pitch this big huge like corporate pitch selling you know advertising and seo and the consultant that runs the pitches, right between the agency and the, and the, the company that's being pitched, basically forwarded a note to his boss saying, "This is the best SEO pitch I've ever seen." <gasps> you know what I mean? And he literally was terrified of learning this stuff, and like, and like, he was like, "Oh, I don't want." I guess like, bro, you're gonna do it yourself. I'm just yeah. gonna open a door. I'm gonna tell you the door. You open it, and then you stay in the room right. and open other doors. Right. And like, right. to your point, like, you know. I don't think minorities get that, and right. and and those those rats and all those things, those are doors, you know, open. Right. Yeah. Don't think that like you know that's the thing that I think the thing to realize is it just has a different label on it, but it's the same help that the old boy network has been getting for years. So don't kid yourself. They were getting it, but it was a little bit more casual. Like they didn't have to apply for with a, a form because you know. 
the, because here's the thing, like you'd have more of a network and you'd, ha- you'd still get that handshake and that wink if there were more of us or more of you then people up that like until we can reach critical mass and listen the beauty of all of this is ideally we won't need any of this stuff if if all of corporate america really reflects the rest of america and we're getting there let's be clear too because i am a firm believer of let's also appreciate how far we've all come because we we have Absolutely. made inroads i mean you know and it you know and i there's something good about recognizing that too and 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 with every generation, it gets easier because, you know, I've, every generation, it's, it's not, not easier. Every generation, it gets better. I'm not going to say easier. I'm going to say better. Um, and I am also a firm believer that, you know, take advantage of that network. But now that you mentioned like your friend that's there, he's going to be more likely to be a good member of the network and pull people in too, exactly. and be that mentor to others. Yep. We all, I, we all have people to thank that helped us along the way. And I think that's kind of why I'm doing what I'm doing now. I want to open the door. There's a woman that was on our team in 2021 who was changing tires and she was just an assembly mechanic at a race team. And, and she wouldn't have been considered for going over the wall for stops in an IndyCar team, but she did with our team. We are, you know, we worked with her and we trained her and she's now full-time on, uh, Team Penske, and and I know for a fact that that never would have happened because they weren't they wouldn't consider putting a woman in that role. But she was sure, able to show that sure. she was capable on our team, and so now there she is. Because again, the thing that's with a lot of these jobs, any of these jobs, whether it's my stuff is you know you, you can watch it on television, but it's at like at like what you're doing with SEO, you're either doing the job or you're not. So. Mm-hmm. You get you get the nod, you get the door open, but like you said, you've got to stay in the room, you've got to stay in the job. So. I think the secret, and everybody always says this, but it's so true. The secret to everything is just working hard. You can't phone it in. There's no shortcuts. It's a hard work nope. network. And I, I like uh, just, you know, love begets love. And it might sound cheesy. Yes. Just being kind. My mom taught yes. us manners and I use them. I say good morning. I say good afternoon. You know, and a lot of people are like, oh, you need to be mean. I don't agree with that. I could be shrewd on a point. That's not being an a-hole, you know? So no, no. I, like I mean, let's be honest, Laval. I met I met you probably in like two Zoom calls. Met you in person once. <laughs> yeah. You reached out to yeah. me, and I'm like, oh, I remember. I remember him. He was great. You yeah. know, like you know. And I mean, do, do, I mean, do you know how many people I meet? <laughs> I mean, a lot of people, yeah, especially in the context of that like Yeah, that's true. Well, I remember you because I'm like, all right, he's he knows what he's talking about. He's smart. He's engaged switched on you know okay so that that it's like a calling card so then when i see your name like oh yep i remember him he's you know i appreciate it and here we are when's your documentary coming out when's your documentary coming out i know right i'm so i (laughs) i know i get calls about it all the time and people want to do it oh we have nothing nothing yet but well maybe someday okay i hope so because that that i think will if we tell the story of 2021, show the world, you know, yeah, that'll show the yeah. world because they need to see even the story you just told about how you know, young lady was Nothing not considered. Now she's tired, going over the wall, and like that, yeah. like that experience, Indy was so incredible. Um, just watching you work, even all the stuff I learned about the car and the difference between F1, and I realized that's like I'm mm-hmm. really a fan of Indy. This is awesome. Versus like the the yeah. quality of the car, so you could actually see the yes. driver. Like, oh, oh yeah, rigged. <laughs> yeah, like, yeah. It's... I didn't have to do that until like you people don't know it. Took us on the tour, 
in the garage and like you explained yes. it. I was like, wow, this is actually incredible. This is like, yeah, I remember that tour. That I remember that tour yeah. in the garage. Like that was a nice in-depth like discussion. Yeah, it's the thing. The thing that a lot of people and I, I love that F one is now being watched by Americans. I've been watching F one since I'm, I'm five years old. So like, it's so funny for me to watch like Americans like now talking about it and you know wearing the gear and like wearing. I'll be in the airport, see someone with a hat. Like, okay, that guy wouldn't have had that hat three years ago. It's like fun. So it's kind of jarring to see. <laughs> I'll take it. I'm one of those. No, it, but it's funny because there's still like this. Um, I don't want to say it's naive because it's not, but like there's still people that are in that like bubble of like um, having like the basic conversations of it and we'll take it. But th I just hope that some of that comes to IndyCar because, and I, and I say this, I know I sound biased because I'll say it, it, I sound biased because I'm in IndyCar, but take a step back. I've worked in motorsport around all different, uh, you know, I've worked in NASCAR, I've worked in sports car, I've had, you know, I've been to many an F1 race, I have colleagues in there, I, I'm, I'm a I'm on an FIA board, which oversees F1, you know, it's all racing, but like meaning, you know, I'm really well integrated into this industry. Um, but I will argue that I think IndyCar is better racing because it's a, um, you don't know who's going to win every week. Right. You know, we have such, yeah. the, the talent in the drivers is so tight. Like from first to, to, you know, 20th place is less than half a second which tells part of that is because the cars, yeah, the cars are somewhat similar. They're, they're still, they can all be adjusted. So what you're seeing, you're still seeing the uh, prowess of the engineer, the race engineer and the strategist of how are we going to set up the car today? Cause so yes, we all have the same bits, but there's things that are adjustable. Wings are all adjustable. So we're adjusting the arrow, adjusting the dampers, adjusting. Uh, and then there's a strategy of, you know, when we're, we're switching tires, just like an F1, we have different car, uh, car, uh, compounds and, and you have to run multiple compounds through the race. And so there's, there's all these things that, that um, all these variables. And so what you're watching is how well the teams are managing the variables, let alone how good the driver is and how quickly they're getting around the track. And we don't know who's going to win. And, and there's races that are like nail biters. And the, the end of the day, racing and sport is entertainment. That's why we watch it. It's entertainment. Absolutely. Like we're effectively yeah, a traveling absolutely. circus. Like we've run away and joined the circus. We're entertainers. <laughs> and really how you should measure it is, are you entertained? And Because that's really ultimately, right. so yes, there's TV rights and this and that, but are you really entertained? And I would argue that if you were to watch an IndyCar race, if you've never watched it, watch it and tell me if, you know, and it's a similar thing. And I always say this to everybody who's new to racing, Turn it on, pick a driver, kind of like when you were watching the Kentucky Derby, you pick a horse, pick a driver, pick a car, and then that's the one you're kind of like rooting for. And as time goes on, you'll you'll feel like you're part of it. And as you know, if you come to an IndyCar race, you actually have far more access. And I think one thing that's happened with Drive to Survive, the Netflix series about F1, is you get this full behind the scenes look. And I think a lot of fans are thinking that if they go to a race, they're going to have that kind of access. You are not. <laughs> Yeah, right. like I, I'm on the FIA board. I can't always get tickets to. I can't get a paddock pass unless I have a specific work need that I need to be. Right. So, um, whereas IndyCar, you can walk through the paddock. You get a regular ticket. You can walk through the paddock and like go up to the garage area and look in, and you could see the drivers walking by. And, and especially for kids, that's always exciting because like like you, your first time in IMS kind of have that wide-eyed moment can you imagine being like an eight-year-old and that was your first experience yeah. like you feel like you're hooked for life sure 
let alone if a driver so comes I, by and signs your hat. Yeah. Absolutely. So we're at time. What I'm going to do is if if anyone hearing this part and wants to mentee with you or work with you or, or, or support in any way, uh, is that okay? How would they be able to contact yeah, the best is, so we have our website, PerettaAutosport.com, P-A-R-E-T-T-A, Autosport.com. And the best is to send an email through info, info at Pareto Autosport. It goes to our admin and I see all that, you know, I see everything because they, we get different things for different reasons. But yeah, and um, the one thing I would recommend anybody that wants to get into racing, there's amateur races at tracks probably ev- everywhere near you. Um, if you want to just go check out a race on a weekend and you can start working for small teams, that's how I did it helping out being a gopher, sweeping, and then you can eventually do this. Beth, That's thank it. you so much for, for being being on the show. You're fantastic. Anything you're doing, I will 100% support. You're, you're amazing. Same. Same of all. You're Thanks. doing, like I said before, you're doing important work, and I'm so happy that you're doing it. I appreciate Anything you. I support. Um, awesome. Absolutely. All right. Have a good day.